and this was one of the best years of my life. I don't know, because it's a music podcast, so I didn't, I didn't go that far. Wait, 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 wait. Well, I figured, you know, if it goes well, then that's because of me. If it goes bad, that's because of you guys. So I'm not too worried. <laughs> <laughs> you can bend behind the nut. You were just thinking of Babs Bunny. <laughs> this is a hot bunny, man. Bunnies could be hot. Club banger. Flam jam. Dude, you can't judge someone's personal life and their music, otherwise you wouldn't like Kanye. And Kanye's awesome. His music is awesome. He sucks. And now, see, I was going to the ball game, my buddy Tom, who couldn't play Zigzag Wiggle Wham by the new Ball J Boys. So close. Hey, and welcome to your latest weekly installment of Bass and Trouble. I'm your announcer, Doug. Let's introduce your hosts, Neil and Steve. Take it away, boys. Thanks, Doug. Welcome to the Bass and Treble Podcast. My name is Neil. And I am a beloved American podcaster, Steve. <laughs> That's my intro this week. So it is with great accomplishment that we are here with our 10th and final episode of this season's Bass and Treble Podcast. <laughs> Just for... Just so everybody's reference, on the notes, Steve made it like it's the last one. He didn't write those extra words because he didn't need them. But season two is about to be in the books. I was improvising. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to read it word for word. You can improvise. So Thanks. we've had a really good run this season. We talked a lot about a lot of fun bands. We had a bunch of great guests, which never we didn't do season one, so I'm really happy with that. And you need to check out last week's episode. It is gold. It's where I brought my old bandmate, Sean. And <laughs> It's hilarious. Guys, you don't want to miss this. Don't want to miss it. And where we talked about Rush, uh, obviously. Yeah. And then today we're going to jump back into our, one, of, one of our favorite topics, which is 90s alternative bands. <laughs> yes. It's a common theme here. Probably half the shows have to do with that. But... Today is all about the Foo Fighters, and the specifically Dave Fighters. Grohl. Yeah. Dave Grohl is a man who can do nothing wrong in my eyes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it is wild, man. Love this band. And then later on, we're, we're going to talk about the Saki Song of the Day, which is a real hit at weddings, bat mitzvahs, all through the 80s. Um, you got to check it out. it's completely died down recently, thank God. <laughs> it's a song you don't hear very much anymore, but... For some reason, it's still ingrained in Recently? my Recently? This is... Wow, okay. Well, I had a good run. <laughs> yeah. It, it, thank God it's over. All right. So, yeah. Let's, let's dive in and start talking about the Foo Fighters. Yeah. And if you haven't subscribed already, guys, I'm not really sure why. We got this far, episode 10, and it's unbelievable. We made it, guys. We made it. But subscribe because we're not going to be gone forever. We got to take a little break. Steve... Steve and our relationship is too good to let this podcast define it. Oh, yeah, there's way more that we've got lined up. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about the Foo Fighters, Steve, like you said. All right, there's three dudes. Dave Grohl, who's the obvious choice. There's Pat Smear, who sounds like something that happens at a gynecologist's office. <laughs> it also sounds, makes me want to eat a bagel with cream cheese. <laughs> Mmm, <laughs> yummy. <laughs> and then there's uh, Taylor Hawkins is the third one, who um, wasn't around for the first album or two. He was too busy touring with Alanis Morissette on the Jagged Little Pill tour. He did that with Flea, which sounded like a lot of fun. Yeah, good times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And these guys were out of uh, Seattle. They were founded in 1994. We'll get into more about that important year. A lot that happened that year. Um. But yeah, you mentioned Pat Smear. Pat Smear was the the Nirvana guitarist, and I know when they did Unplugged, he played background a couple songs, and he was he right. toured with them sometimes, and like really really cool dude. He has a really good stage presence. He doesn't like run all over the place, but he has a really good strong like guitar stage presence, and he he rocks, man. He he plays really well. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna go through and start picking it apart and talk about all of. Um you know, the Nirvana references and influences and all the different band members that they had along the way. But man, with this band, it really turns into a rat's nest of everybody in the music scene. Like everybody yeah. related to everybody. And they bring other people on tour and they were all like, it's a, it's almost like a community band, which I guess you could do right. when you were just in a super famous rock band. <laughs> Dave Grohl. It kind of helps. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like, hey, so I'm the drummer for Nirvana. Do you want to be my, you want to play my band? Yes. 
How much is it? Yes. No, just <laughs> sign me up. We'll we'll figure right. out the details later. Yeah, in the mid '90s, yeah, that, they were gold. They were platinum. They were top of the list. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, let me plug our social media again. You know, this week it's obvious that we've both been listening to a lot of Foo Fighters. Steve Pioneer made a Foo Fighters playlist called Chill Foo, which were like the <laughs> calmest songs that I didn't know. Thank you, Steve. From now on, you'll be making playlists. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, we're going to dive into that a lot. Like, you know, you think Foo Fighters are full, like, grunge, alternative, and, and hard rock. But half of their stuff is the complete opposite. Like, Dave Grohl knows how to write a melody. And right. half the time, you know, he sings from the heart, and he writes these things that are super mellow and chill and great for late-night listening. So uh, I decided to compile them all up and make a playlist out of them. So head over to our Spotify and uh, check it out. So, yeah, imagine being a drummer and, uh, you know, I'll do the music talk. Music talk real quick. Uh, when it Is comes gonna to... going to be our new section? Like, music <laughs> talk? <laughs> That's great. I got I to gotta do that. I'm going to do, like, a big recording of that. Do, like, five-part voices. Music talk. <laughs> just be like a music 1970s talk. like break tech. I'm gonna do that. So in this episode <laughs> of Music Talk, we're gonna talk about how important drumming is to singing. Steve, I, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this at some point during the last two seasons, but it goes without saying that when you're a singer, a drummer who can sing and then be the singer guitar player, it makes your band be very much tight and in rhythm because drummers have the best rhythm. Now you've got a singer with great rhythm, right. and that's not always the thing. Not every singer <laughs> is that yeah. good with rhythm. And so when you talk about, you know, the dynamics of things going up and down, they got two drummers. Music talk. All right. So obviously <laughs> this story is going to start with Nirvana. Where it all begins. Dave Grohl was the drummer. I mean, but in their later years, they started getting into songwriting together. So, you know, Grohl had a big influence on that. He could sing backup vocals, which is very important. And, you know, mm -hmm. when Nirvana was peaking with the Nevermind album, Grohl was already starting to record his own stuff. So, like, that, that made a lot of sense. And um, he released <laughs> uh, on a cassette his uh, early stuff. It was called Pocket Watch on Cassette Man. I honestly kind of – I don't miss cassette tapes. I don't think anybody enjoyed using them. But what a nostalgic thing. But they were so convenient to distribute. Like, it was so easy just to, like, dub a tape and be able to hand it off to somebody. Yeah. Imagine imagine when this happens. <laughs> it's like, what was that thing we did yeah. before? <laughs> but that's pretty cool. It was called Pocket Watch, under, and it was under a pseudonym called Late. What does that mean? It was under a pseudonym. So, Like, he can't put his name on it because all of a sudden he's in Nirvana, the biggest band in the world. And he can't be like, oh, look, here's my side project. He wanted to keep it under wraps. So wow, like, that sounds like layers late. and layers of lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I yeah. <laughs> can't yeah. find out. Can't screw this wagon up. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, even though Kurt was the main songwriter, um, Dave would start writing some material, bring it over to Kurt, and Kurt loved it. So there's a few Nirvana songs that have some of his songwriting credit. Uh, the B-side to Heart Shaped Box was a song called Marigold that Dave wrote. Yeah, I like that song. Um, and, yeah, Cobain even said a few times that he was excited for the possibility of having... Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic contribute more to the band. I didn't even realize. I figured Nirvana was like a little bit of all of everybody, but it really was Kurt Cobain's band. He was yeah. The, he was really the main the main driving force behind the the songwriting. And then he had to go screw it all up. <laughs> yeah, I know. We'll get into that. But in 1994, just before Nirvana's European tour, they hit the studio for about three days, and we all know what happened. Cobain never showed up. Um, there's some really, you know, weird British investigative journalism documentary about it. Have you seen that one? It's called like No Wet Tears. And the guy sounds like this, like he's standing in front of the building about to tell you about it. <laughs> You're like, what's going on? I don't know if I would trust a, a guy who sounds like that about like Nirvana's story. No, he's good. He did one about Scientology. Good. The guy's actually pretty good, but it's kind of done in this real weird TMZ kind of way. <laughs> it's very yeah. lo-fi. It sounds a little cheesy. Yeah, it's All very right. lo-fi. But... Good, good, nevertheless. So David Novoselic recorded some songs um, that they wrote together, including future Foo Fighters songs, Exhausted, Big Me, which we'll get into very soon, uh, mm -hmm. February Stars, and Butterflies. So why don't we jump into this band's uh, discography, and 
Yeah, you know what? We we took we, we did a lot of early '90s bands. I feel like this is one that kind of at least you know develops more in, in the aughts. Who decided to call it the aughts? Was it like a sailor? I... <laughs> now that comes from the 1900s. I don't know. Talk to the people back then, man. 1901. I thought isn't there like a discontinued use somewhere where we decide we're not going to use that word anymore? Where people just do they just pluck them out every now and then to use? I think language was different 100 years ago, but we just didn't have another name for it, so so we called it what they used to call it. Yeah, that's funny. It's the Dutch for zero zero. <laughs> so, Foo Fighters had nine albums over the course of, well, over the course of their career, which is still not done. They're still releasing albums, even like uh, two, three years ago. Only the choicest cuts. But the first one came out in 95. It was obviously titled Foo Fighters. And it really came about because after Kurt Cobain died in 94, Dave Grohl had no idea what to do with himself. So he's just kind of floating around and he does some side gigs, which we'll get into in a little bit. But he went back into the studio and cranked out 15 tracks real quick, all by himself, and didn't really know what to do with it. So he just decided to call it the Foo Fighters all by himself, <laughs> released it all by himself. And that was the origin of the band, of, of, of this band, anyways. That's kind of nuts. Um, and, and I know the story has come up before because you're like, you know, you hear some of these songs. And this album, you know, I think my, my well, the big one is Big, big Me. But mm-hmm. it's pretty lo-fi, right? It's just got a really cool um, chord progression. It's actually more um, the structure of the song. It's really pretty. Um, well, that's exactly what we're going to what's going to keep popping up here is that the structure of these songs and the melody of these songs and the timing of these songs, like everything is just, they fit, they fit the universe. Yeah. Like they fit in in almost (laughs) any situation. And it's true because, um, you know, and that song is the one that that's like, well, you talk about it, that one, right. It it just swings along. It has a whole bridge, right. Doesn't have that cool sound. It's like, it's like beach boys. dude. I'm sorry, but Dave Grohl wrote some, some pretty, uh, pretty cool really poppy melodies and i think that's where i think he really turned it up is that you know in nirvana you know kurt was always going to make it really heavy subject matter and heavy distorted guitars and like his right. his first piece of work he puts out he's like i'm just getting loose Da-da-da-da. like it's just yeah it's so liberating and it's also kind of a triumph of of a horrible tragedy you know you got kurt Cobain dying and he was able to that he can pull it back together and yeah, have a great career and be one of the most respected rock musicians of all time. Like, kudos to to that band. Nirvana is a good band. <laughs> it, it was legendary back in the day, and if the best thing that came out of it was Dave Grohl, I'd be happy with that. He is yeah modern day rock god. But yeah, that first album had a few singles. It had the the first three tracks were obviously the most popular ones. This is a call. I'll stick around and big me. When those hit, all of a sudden, it was yeah. What it was, Steve, is it was like holy crap. Who are the like? What is, this is Dave Grohl's new band. So imagine this, right? There's there's rock history, and then there's legendary rock history where you put out this lo-fi, low-budget. Here's some songs. I was just in a big rock band. Let me know if you like it. And they're like people are like yes, we love it. Keep doing that. So let's all talk right. about for all the cows. So I'm a big vegan. And this song is three chords. And it's just like a three chord. Free all the cows. It's like, what is going on? This is so cool. Yeah, it's their first mellow song. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, caught my attention. They also made a presence with their music videos. Oh, um, yeah. Right off the bat from this first album. Big Me is... Which one is that, Steve? Tell me. I always forget which one's which. Is that the That's airplane the one? one? That was filmed like a Mentos commercial. Oh, yeah. Okay, now I know why you said the Mentos commercial. Yeah, they're out there doing like crazy <laughs> stuff, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, the fresh maker, and like, oh, everything is cool. Let me just like do some crazy stuff and get away with it. So, yeah, right off the bat, you kind of see like Dave's, Dave Grohl's sense of humor mm-hmm. comes out a whole lot more, and you can tell he's just kind of playing with it. He's just having fun. He's like, all right, here's a new band. I'm on my own. Let me just throw my wacky ideas out there and. Thank God he's a wacky, funny guy, because they all stuck. Yeah, 
So then moving on to the color and the shape. The second album, uh, again, has a ton of good songs on here. Um, starting out with Doll, which is, uh, you know, kind of cranks it up. Um, Monkey Wrench, I think, was the first hit or the first single off of it. Yeah, dude, that song's amazing. Towards the end, there's this one oh, yeah. part where he just well, like yells. At the... <laughs> yeah. When I finally learned all the words to that, it was so cathartic. Just being able to like scream that at the top of my lungs, like along with it. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what it means, or you know, uh, I can say the words, but I don't know what he's actually saying. But just the fact that you can scream it at the top of your lungs is awesome. Steve, I know plenty of songs that you know verbatim, and if I had to put my life on someone to know all the words to one week, it'd be you. Yep. Oh, yeah, I Call got my that. buddy Steve. He's got that one on lock. What's the other one? End you. of the World. This song yeah. now, I know, because who knows all the words to that part? He just sounds like a dog barking. I didn't know someone could actually one go and learn it. One thing him. before I quit. <laughs> I never wanted any more than I could fit into my head. I still remember every single word you said and all the shit that somehow came along with it. Still, there's one thing that comforts me. <laughs> when I was always caving, now I'm free. <laughs> wow. That's literally <laughs> yeah. it? Wow. That, that's pretty deep, though. Uh, it, it's amazing. Right. It, it's, it has a great rhythm. It has like a great cadence to it. It's really straight. I I never knew that it was that deep. That's pretty cool. Well, yeah. And then you you also got to talk about how I how surprised I was when I opened up my notes today for this podcast to say that my hero was on their second album. Dude, the song my hero right. pretty much is every Creed song is a shittier version of that song. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it all started, and Creed just like took it in no, another direction. No, this song is direction. great. My Hero is a great song, but I'm saying it literally, right. when I think of 2000s rock, it's like, you know, songs that emulate that kind of feel. Like, these guys were ahead of their time, man. I think they were kind of defining rock. Other bands are taking influence from them, like, whoa, what is that? Um, right. But, yeah, I just, I mentioned Creed, but there's probably worse ones, you know? There's always those, like, C-level <laughs> bands that are still touring at bars for, like, you know, thousand bucks a pop like i can't believe you're still touring like is this really where would we be without without that song um so this album also has february stars which was one of the demos uh, if you can call it that when uh we were talking about how just before the european tour back in 94 he put out something on a pseudonym yeah no not that one but they were in the studio together where kurt cobain never showed up and they wrote stuff like Big Me and February Stars, which didn't make it on the first album. Oh, they really? ended up showing up on the color and the shape here, yeah. This also has Walking After You, a which great has song. just a sweet, yeah. sweet uh, super again, on that one. Super just chill, though. Like, really kind of laid back uh, song. It's very nice. It's mm -hmm. got a good build up. It's got Everlong on here, which is one of rock classics. I mean, at, that, at this point, that's a, you know. Fun fact, it, we covered this song in my band every gig that's got to be tough oh it, it, yeah for the drummer yeah for me the singing right. is tough but the guitar i can it's not that bad to pull off it's it's just super repetitive and fast yeah i, mean, I remember playing it in rock band that's, that's about the extent of my music ability there and i just by the end of that song my hand was so tired i remember my drummer max rest in peace wherever he is because we can't get in touch with him <laughs> <laughs> throwback he um uh yeah, he, you know, it's one of those songs where you straighten your shoulders before you start playing. <laughs> like, yeah, all right, get ready. Here we go. We're diving in. That also had a funky video on it, too. It did. Uh, it, a lot of dream sequences. Yeah, but it was, and... it reminded me of kind of like Other Side. It reminded me of that kind of video by the Chili Peppers. Oh. It was very like monotone and depressing. But, but the music is so deep. Like the words he sang in that, I mean, it's definitely like the, the timeline of every, you know, vampire novel now. But still, <laughs> uh, I like it though. Yeah, and you know, if everything could ever feel this way forever, it's very—it's it, a song that that girls like for sure, and I like it too. I think it's got a nice, you know, it's—it's it's a romantic song actually. The words in it, mm. "Breathe out so I can breathe you in, hold you in." I mean, he's not talking about a buddy there; he's talking about a girl. <laughs> oh, good point. He's talking right, about a lady. Um, yeah. What other songs you like on this album? And then, well, there's a few bonus tracks that didn't come out until their 10-year anniversary. There's two of them that are remakes of old 80s songs. That I didn't I know that. Both of the originals. Um, yeah, Down in the Park. That's a great song. Newman. I love that song. Yeah, the same guy who sings Cars. Cars. Yeah. He's like, he was like super nerdy and futuristic robotic kind of guy. And Down in the Park is kind of a creepy song about, I think it's about like a robot 
takeover, almost like the Terminator War. Um, so that's cool because he kind of mellows it down a little bit, but also has this industrial grungy musical feel Always, to it. Always, man. So that's kind of cool. And then the other one is Baker Street, which is a remake from Jerry Rafferty, uh, another 80s song that's kind of underrated, but he kind of breathes some new life into it. That's great. You know, this podcast is going in a way where we don't want to let it go. Me and Steve are just like, oh, why? Why must Cranking them out and having fun with it. Yeah, man. Yeah. This is gr- this is really, for a second album, sophomore follow-up, uh, yeah, these guys at that point are... Kind of solidified them. Yeah, for sure. And then in 1999, they came out with uh, There's Nothing Left to Lose, um, which has, I want to say, my second favorite Foo Fighters song. I'd say my first favorite is definitely Everlong. Um, but okay. Learn to Fly is up there. And if you've ever he- heard their acoustic takes of that song, oh, they're so beautiful, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, bring out the 12-string and mm. stuff on it. And it's really fun to play, okay. you know? Um, what I like about Dave Grohl is that he can, he can he's got pipes. Like, he can really sing with, like, gusto. But right. he recognizes that sometimes it's better to just sing normal. <laughs> right. Yeah, he, he knows the difference. Sometimes you just want to like throw it out there, and sometimes you want to crank it out. Well, I'd say that that makes sense when this is a band who's had Jimmy Page out on stage at a gig and played rock and roll with right. him, which afterwards, literally afterwards, they, they, had, they got a DVD. It's like a DVD clip, and they went up to Dave Grohl, and he's like, this is the best day of my life. It does not get better than today. Like, Yeah, I mean, a rock god is playing with a rock god. I just played with my rock hero. That doesn't ever happen. And it was in that big stadium. I don't know if you've ever seen that video where it's like, it's like in like a South American country and it's just like mass, like 60,000 people, Steve, in like a massive soccer arena. Would you say that Dave Grohl is the Jimmy Page of the 90s? Yes, without question. Yeah. And just notoriety alone, yeah. Guitar notoriety for yeah, sure. Yeah, that rock royalty level. Like rock royalty, yeah. Like okay. you can't you can't say anything is bad because it's not. So stop being stupid. <laughs> like just listen better. Yeah, don't even try. <laughs> just like appreciate it for the wonderfulness that it is. Yeah. Even on Jimmy Page's worst day, it's better than most people's best day. It's like okay. Yeah. Right. Got it. <laughs> yeah. So going back to Learn to Fly, that video was oh, yeah. <laughs> another funny one. It starts out with Tenacious D. It was Jack Black. Is it Dave Grohl like a woman in that? Is he dressed up yeah, like? So they play all the parts, <laughs> yeah. which is which is great. It's like a stewardess at some point. <laughs> right. So it it's called Learn to Fly. It takes place on an airplane, obviously. And it starts out where the guys from Tenacious D, Jack Black and Kyle Gass, are trying to like smuggle some uh, drugs into the plane. And they put it in the coffee maker, and then they make some coffee out of it. Yeah, <laughs> they, somebody that. actually pushes the button on the coffee maker, yeah. and hilarity ensues. But there's all these different characters on the plane during the song. Like, there's the pilot and co-pilot, which are Dave Grohl and and, uh, and Chris Novoselic, I think. Yeah. And then different passengers on the plane are also them. So I know Taylor Hawkins is like a fangirl. He's got like long, long blonde hair and he like gushing over like seeing Dave Grohl, which means Dave Grohl also plays himself as one of the passengers. And they're just dressed <laughs> up in all these different characters. It's just, it's so much fun to watch because you could tell they're having a good time with it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's so much fun. And it has the song Aurora in it, which has got a great tune uh, to it. It's, uh... Which is also your grandma's name. I think about your grandma every time I hear that song. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's a classic name, and it's very, um, yeah, it comes in super spatial. I'm a big fan, big fan of that song. And um, it was on your Chill Foo playlist, because it is a little more laid back than a normal Foo Fighters song. Right. Also, uh, Ain't It The Life, one of the later tracks on here is, is yeah, on that Chill Foo list. Yep. And, yeah, to be honest, I think this is probably my favorite Foo Fighters album. I'm just going through the track list here, and there's... Yeah, the MIA is so good five, too. Yeah. The first five songs, songs I think are all singles mm-hmm. from it, but even the next six songs are all killer just as well. Like not all of them are maybe single worthy, but they're still great songs nonetheless. It's, it's a great album. Yeah, and I remember the cover cuz it had the dude with the tattoo on the back of his neck with the double F. That's that right. album. And I remember that one yep. being around in the CD player a lot 
um, growing up. Like uh, my sister would play it on the CD player sometimes. Yeah, 99. That's about the same time you and I started hanging out. Yeah, pretty much, man. And uh, I didn't realize all Skewed Music was around me because I was a, a, a kid and really was more listening to like the – I think I was listening to rap back then. Like parents got divorced. I was listening to like Bone Thugs and – yeah, you were a Cuban kid growing up in South, like you know, South Florida, Miami. in a really bad neighborhood. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm gonna just right, yeah. And then Steve comes along and is like, "Hey, yeah, check out a little thing called Pink Floyd." So yeah, Steve, Steve's <laughs> one of my rock, definitely not one of you were the first person to show me Welcome to the Machine. That was my first entree to rock. I was like, "What is going on? This is yeah." There's a wider world out there than like South Florida hip hop. Yeah, you were definitely inspiration, man. I opened my, uh, I opened myself a little bit on that one. Um, but well, it only helps us both out in the long run. Cause here we are making podcasts. Yeah. I think back then though, you, you, you know, we had that connection of like, you knew I like good music because even the rap I listened to was, was decent. It wasn't trash rap. Yeah. But I only took it so far. Like you have music running in your blood, like your entire family is singers and like professional musicians. Like it, it's in your blood. <laughs> it was going to happen one way or another. I just, but yeah, this is, this know. is probably my second favorite album. I think I like the color and shape a little more. But definitely my second okay. one. A good album. I just um, there's too many songs on that color and shape that I just oof bangers. Yeah. So let's move into the next decade. Uh, 2002 comes out with an album called One by One. And yeah. there's a few good tracks on here, but I can't even say that it's one of their greatest albums by far. It's not. Yeah, but it has one of their greatest songs. All My Life? For sure. Whew. So this that yeah. song is, is uh, when you think of when I said why does he have Jimmy Page status, it's songs like this. Because they're just like balls to the wall. Yeah, it's dynamic. It switches up. It, it changes up. It's got some fast, some slow. It's a lot it's... harder than people think to play like rock that's easy Why fast that? i don't know people think like, he has a really good dynamic he goes up and down on the guitar a lot so like Fufa, right. when i was growing up and i'd read guitar articles with dave Grohl, like giving his advice on how to play guitar when i started getting into guitar i was like oh wow this guy's into like the same way you know you use motion on drumsticks he thinks the same way on guitar he's very like what's going to be the most uh. efficient way and he was probably one of the first people that got me into that you know as i, as I kind of developed as a guitar player playing the guitar is all about efficiency it's all about getting from here to there as fast and as easily as possible. Figure out the way, remember it, and then memorize it as right. you're going all over the place, and that's how you get good at guitar. Well, he uh, he was really good at that because <laughs> this song okay. is really nuts, man. He has a really cool um, like guitar solo section in there. He, he he actually, I think that's probably like when his this song is kind of his like whoa, you know. Even though it was the only probably only super really good song on this, although there's there's some other tracks that I know are decent. As that being the hit, man, that, that song hit hard. I'm sure this record sold a bunch. Can't wait mm -hmm. to get to that part of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the other song on here that probably helped sell a whole bunch is Times Like These. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's a few different versions of that. There's, you know, the original, which is pure alternative. Uh, but there's also some cool acoustic, mellow parts of that as well. But the lyrics on that are timeless. I mean, you know, it's still a hit song just because of that alone. Dude, I love that song. <laughs> yeah, what's well, like, I'm a new and rising. Yeah, that's a pretty song, man. Right, it's so hopeful and so uplifting that, you know, it, it doesn't matter when you play it, it's always appropriate. Yeah, he does those harmonies at the end, too. Remember how he's singing the chorus and it's like, nah, nah. there's that cool, right. like, harmony. I'm a big fan of that song, too. Yeah, I didn't know that was on this album. I probably should have read the screen a little better. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, and then In Your Honor comes out in 2005 um, with uh, the title track, In Your Honor. Um, and then Best of You is the song I think about the most from this album, for sure. Right. Yeah, that song is also killer on guitar, man. Remember how that song yeah. starts? Yeah, it's like it's like a it's like a low thing. It's like uh I got another confession to make. Right. That's this one. Dude, yeah. like this 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 is like what you gotta understand is that Dave Grohl is amazing at writing fucking songs. 
Like that song is is just per like you like we said earlier, it's just perfectly constructed in every rock sense. That like you right. could just you, you what are you supposed to do? He's the best. <laughs> <laughs> you can't improve perfection. Yeah, he just has that magic touch that he can just. Steve, one hit wonders exist for a reason. It's a thing. Right. Yeah. People can have a, a great idea, but it's just a great idea. I watched a documentary recently, totally off topic, just you and me, just bud to bud. Watch a fucking right. uh, an episode recently of uh, of this really hilarious. Um, oh, it was a documentary in another in Italian for the I'm Blue Dabu D Dabu Die guys and the story of the how that was developed. You spent time. watching It was that. amazing. It actually was like I didn't realize that this hit song was made up. Like, was someone just? It took so much work, dude. Like, they should go through the demos of what the early song sounds like. It sounds nothing like the end result. Well, I can tell you it does sound overproduced for that for what that's worth. Yeah, it is because it is, but that's why it's so like catchy and sucky song of the okay. day-ish. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll crank <laughs> that, that one out. out. Yeah. It's like, there, there's two. Let's do this episode. Yes. So then yeah, um, lining them up. But anyways, not sure why I brought that up because song structure and one hit wonders. Yeah, and but exactly. Some it's, people have it and some people don't. Yeah, and they have it and they take it all the way to the bank. Um, what other song from this album? Uh, I mean, whatever. What other songs from this album? DOA was a pretty good. That was a hit single. Um, yeah, Steve, we, look, there, we sound like two. We sound like two old men reading the paper. Yeah, so what? Uh, what else is going on here today? <laughs> Let's figure this out. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Sweet and divine. All right, Steve. So, um, and these guys, you got to understand at this point, they've been a band since 95. Um, or the group started in 95, but they've been an actual band since around 97 when they released uh, The Color and Shape. And now we're getting into mm -hmm. what year? We're getting into 2007. Guys, it's 2007. been 10 years of runs with these guys touring, playing their songs, songs people love to listen to. Um, having fun, giving the world good music, and then to come out with Echo, Silence, Patience, and Grace, which honestly was a pretty good album. Um, the Pretender was a great yep. song. Um, and this song, this whole album uh, flows really well. Right, from track to track. It, it does almost seem mo not quite a concept album, but yeah, the, the flow is, is great. Uh, Long Road to Ruin is another one on this album that's definitely worth looking into. It... Uh, Kind of stands out to me as one of the better tracks on here. So after that, they came out with Wasting Light in 2011. Um, I don't know too many of these songs. I know Back and Forth. I know that song. That most, I think that was a single from this album, right? Yep. Uh, also, These Days. Wow, that's really awesome. Imagine being able to tour and play and play new songs that people actually don't think are horrible. What a great, what a great concept. <laughs> right. That's what I realized here is that not every album needs to have, you know, all killer tracks, but at least a few songs on every album is worth, you know, picking up or listening to it. They keep making it. Not everybody somehow. can be Dave Matthews, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> comes close yeah for sure uh arlandria is one of my favorites on here and uh and walk the closing track on here i think was a single too which is odd to have it as the last track on here yeah maybe it was shuffled wrong when they were trying to pick song locations that's all but again that song kind of has that uplifting very hopeful kind of feeling to it which which i kind of dig he kind of he can do it without being corny which is not easy And then, and then, yeah, it's funny. We talk about after Wasting Light, um, Sonic Highways. I, I remember that wasn't like a, that, like a TV series too that was tracking them as they did this. Yeah. So there's eight tracks on here, and each one is recorded in a separate studio somewhere across the U.S. Wow. So they go visit Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee, Texas, California, Louisiana. Yeah, Washington, I see they went to towns like City. Chicago too, and Nashville, and Austin. 
Um, and all of these are, in their own way, they're legendary studios in their own right. So what else is cool is that each one of these songs are collaborative, are collaborations with other famous bands where that's their home studio. Um, so for example, um, you know, Zach Brown and the Zach Brown Band yep. is from Nashville, Tennessee. So they have this song called Congregation that was recorded at Southern Ground Studios with Zach Brown. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. And I, I remember that song. That was a good song. Um, I also remember the Gary Clark Jr. stuff they did in here. It was really, really mm -hmm. bluesy and really awesome to be doing that down in Texas because Texas blues is a different type of blues. Um, it, it's not your typical type. It has a certain tone and twang to it. And Gary Clark is a mean guitar player. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, yeah, he picks some real great people to play with here. Uh, Preservation Hall Jazz Band from Louisiana is uh, on the track In the Clear. Uh, ben Gibbard, I was surprised to see... Um, He's from the Decemberist, right? Yeah, you're right. And that band, oh my God. Oh God, side note, <laughs> side note. I'm going to just throw it out there. I had a drummer once who made what? me listen to a Decemberist song and like eight and a half minutes through, I'm like, is this thing ever going to be over? Like, <laughs> yeah, not your It's style, like, huh? why is every song about a fucking boat? <laughs> did they, did like... <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's just the Ben Gibbard style, man. That's what they do. Oh man. What's funny is that the track on this album that they sing about is called Subterranean, which <laughs> could have some submarine connotations in it, too. So I'm just going to throw that out there. Oh, man, they're like the modest mouse of, of, of uh, water-based rock. <laughs> cool. All right. So let's wrap, let's wrap it up with their last album here um, called Concrete and Gold. came out in 2017, uh, debuted at number one. So, you know, even these days, they can still keep it going, keep it up. Yeah, man, that's sick. And it did debut at number one on the Billboard 200. Um, I can't say I know any of the songs on here, really. I think Run, maybe, was one that I heard before, but not ringing a bell. Right, so Run is one of their singles, and also The Sky is a Neighborhood. Oh um, yeah, I remember real that powerful song. song. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about Dave's side projects. Um, so, like I said earlier, there are t way too many to list. <laughs> like he just plays with anyone who wants to play music with him, and and so many of these are great bands. So I kind of had to pick and choose which ones we're going to cover here. I just kind of went for uh, the high points. You know, the, yeah, <laughs> like, I, I played in the White part. House for four sitting presidents. Yeah, no. Um... <laughs> So he started with Nirvana, obviously. Right. But one thing I didn't realize was that in 94, when he was kind of in that limbo state between Nirvana before Foo Fighters, he played with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers as their drummer. And that's amazing you say that because this band is, a, to me, a heavier version of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Like, right. Yeah, a lot of the songs kind of cover the same topics and have the same melodies and rhythms. When... Tom Petty played on Saturday Night Live in 94. Dave Grohl was right there in the background playing drums. Oh, wow. I got to look that up. I didn't know that. That's pretty sick. What yeah. a great drummer to yeah, just pick up. Cool. Dave Grohl, Lee Zervana's like, hey, guys, you need a drummer? Lenny, we're going to need you to come back in a little bit. Come in, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Actually, our drummer just left. Leave, Leonard. Leave. Get out, Get of, out here. of here, Dave Grohl, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, if things didn't work out with Tom Petty... He could have also been in Pearl Jam. In 95, also before Foo was a full-time gig, he played with Pearl Jam for a few songs during their Australian tour. Right. So another just random placement there that could have been a different history. And that you know really does just go to show how much of a badass drummer he is. But to continue on the Dave Grohl Love Fest, also the drummer in Queens <laughs> of the Stone Age, which honestly... One of, if I were to do an album from that era, from the 2000s, it would be that first Queen of the Stone Age album. I don't know what it's called, but the one that has right. all their good songs. Yeah, that song, <laughs> it's just fantastic. It has Go With The Flow. It has so many things, but that's all Dave Grohl in the background, helping that band propel them to that rock sickness, dude. That's what you have to remember. 
I always wonder about Queens of the Stone Age. Would they have gotten as popular as they were if Dave Grohl wasn't on that first album? Like, they're a great band. They have a ginger front man. Do you really have to ask that question? <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> You're right. Point taken. Got it. That's all you have to say. <laughs> they, I mean, they're a good band. They, they've kept it going. But I think it was that first kick with that first album was really... No, this last album they had was a poo-poo, stinky, not good. Oh, really? Yeah, it, was, <laughs> it, sounded like, okay. it sounded like a bunch of old dudes trying to play rock. That's what it sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah. All right. Got well, to edit that out. They came back around in uh, July 2009, mm-hmm. where he met he met back up with Josh Holm mm-hmm. from Queens of Stone Queens Age, of Stone Age, and John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin fame, and came out with a band called Them Crooked. Vultures. Yeah, Them Crooked Vultures. That's right, Them Crooked Vultures. <laughs> I remember I bought that uh, album just because John Paul Jones was on it, and I think he plays like 17 instruments on it or something ridiculous, like. Yeah, it's a super group. It's all three of them. They're all from, you know. Steve, well, John Paul Jones is a super group <laughs> by himself. Like, he's, <laughs> right. he's the bass player from Zeppelin. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I, he obviously initiated all that. <laughs> I could just picture them sitting, like, at a bar and just being like, hey, hey, fellas, what would you think about maybe forming a little band here? And, like, just Dave Grohl jizzing in his pants and Joshua being like, I'm so happy I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> he's right place, right time. Never would have happened otherwise. You know that's how it went down. Oh, yeah. Nobody's going out of their way to be like, "Hey, you know who we need? We need that guy from Queens of the Stone Age. That's who would round out this band." Yeah, I feel like Dave and John became good friends. He's like, "We, do you, I mean, I don't know, guitar. I mean, like, can we just lay the tracks? I've got a guy. He's in a. I play in a band. With, it's like, shh, I'll keep him. I'll keep him under control. Don't worry. It'll be all right. All right. That is probably exactly how that laid out. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, so Josh. Home. You're not that bad. You're actually pretty good. <laughs> Tenacious D. We kind of mentioned they were on the um, Learning to Fly video, mm-hmm. but Dave Grohl returned the favor and showed up in their video for tribute. <laughs> Tribute's a great song. <laughs> Dave Grohl was the beat. I know. I remember that. What is up That's, with music yeah. videos back then? Were so good. Um, yeah, they just don't make them like that anymore. Yeah, and later he later appeared in their 2006 movie, Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny, as the devil <laughs> in the song. Yeah, I see a the Pick theme of Destiny. Here. He's a demon and a devil. <laughs> but yeah, Dave Grohl and Jack Black both have that you know playful attitude to them. Like they both understand how music works. They're both melodic. They just get it. So of course it was, that to me is a natural fit for them to be friends and, and hang out together a lot. So did you know that Grohl uh, played? Yeah, he did. Did you know that Dave Grohl? I know. Did you know that Dave Grohl? Did you know that Dave Grohl contributed guitar to a cover of Neil Young's I've Been Waiting For You on David Bowie's 2002 album, Heathen? Who knows that? Nobody knows that. Wow. Way too much work going on. Dave Grohl is in the soup. He is a vital ingredient to the rock and roll soup. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's way more than we're listing here. He just plays with anyone and everything. But I figured, you know, if David Bowie's involved, it's worth noting. And the fact that it's a Neil Young cover. He's like MSG in Chinese food, if Chinese food was rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's in the soup. I see what, I see what you did there. Okay. <laughs> I, get, I get like two and a half. I see what you did there. from Steve Furt podcast. <laughs> I've created my one. (laughs) You're you're creative with your analogies sometimes. These guys won a lot of awards. A lot. So I don't even know where to start with this. Grammy Awards. We're always talking about how people love to get nominated. Well, everybody loves to get nominated, but a lot of bands are nominated and never actually win. It's because the Foo Fighters were winning them all? <laughs> yeah, they won 12 awards. Jesus. Wow, they won 12 Grammys. Nominated for 29. I mean, what, they've been around for, at this point, maybe 20 years or so? That's a lot of hardware, Steve. Yeah, that's a lot of awards. And then if you get into like the music video awards, they were nominated 17 times for that. How did they only win twice? They had so many good music videos. 
you know what? They probably lost one year to a Primus music video. <laughs> it's like one known as Big Brown Beaver. Like, yeah, okay, you guys win. Sorry, Foo Fighters. Yeah. Nice try. That takes the cake. <laughs> so, something else that I think is kind of cool when we're talking about um, accolades, if you want to call it that. There was a time between 2002 and 2003 where Dave Grohl was in the number one spot for the modern rock charts out of 17 out of 18 successive weeks. But the catch is, it was with three different bands. Wow. So, he bumped himself out of first place, and then he was in first place for a while, and then he skipped a week, and then he took first place again with yet a whole different band. So it started with Foo Fighters, mm -hmm. when All My Life came out. That was number one on the charts for a little while, and it was unseated when Nirvana came out with their unreleased track, You Know You're Right. They came out with a black album. And yeah, I actually own that. I actually one. own that album, and I own the box set that has this song, You Know You're Right. And every time I hear it, I go, wow, this sounds like a Foo Fighters song. Like, it definitely sounds like a more mellow Kurt. You know, he's not as going as, as right. for the jugular. He's kind of keeping it broad, broad and open. Which kind of makes sense. It came out a bunch of years later, and that's why it hit number mm -hmm. one. So, you know, he was number one for a bunch of weeks, and then he took a week off, gave it off to someone else, but then came back right away the next week with Queens of the Stone Age. Was with no one, no one Knows. Song. Oh, that's a yeah, great track. That hit number one. Yeah, man. Yeah, right. that's a great song. Um, wow, that's a, that's a pretty impressive. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm number one. Oh, let me go with my other band and hit number one again. All through the holiday season, Steve. How great is that? Yeah, through October to March. So it's a pretty pretty good run. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's pretty fantastic. And yeah, these guys won so many awards. We could sit here all day and name them out, but... You know, we went all season long talking about people who don't win the Grammys and don't win, like, awards like that or American Music Awards, and we landed on this one that won 28. You know, that's that's pretty fantastic, combined awards mm -hmm. of all their different music awards. And uh, now it's time for our... Steve, take it away. <laughs> all right, so something we have to mention here was that back in 2015, Dave Grohl's on tour. He's hanging out in Sweden. He's rocking out on stage, falls off the stage, broke his leg. Like, he is clearly not paying enough attention to what he's doing up there. He's just running back and forth. Right. So, breaks his leg in the middle of the show, goes backstage for a little while. They put a, a temporary cast on, and he's like, you know what? I am not done rocking. There is more rock to be had tonight. So, he goes back on stage with a temporary cast, broken leg, finishes the song. What? I mean, I knew that that made him ridiculously internet famous back then it was like all over the internet how dave grohl broke his leg on stage and here he was finishing a song what a i remember thinking what a badass <laughs> and he didn't even let it really get in the way so he had to cancel the rest of the european tour fair yeah. but he didn't want to cancel the north american tour so what he did was designed this elevated throne it was like a game of thrones style thing right and the thing was massive and like Totally opulent. It was made of guitars and stuff. Yeah, it was tremendous. But it let him still have that stage presence <laughs> while not running around the stage. So he can still go on tour. I'm going to sit in a giant throne made of made of things and still play. With a broken leg and still rock your socks off. And sitting out on a chair and just rock. <laughs> sitting down. Yeah, so that was amazing. It's not that um, easy to sing sitting down, so he, he that's pretty tough. I bet you he was drinking a lot of it's tea. It's not that easy to sing when you're in that much pain. Or play guitar. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> like, you know, when you're shouting your brains out and your blood pressure's pumping, I'm sure he felt it in that leg. Hey, eat that, Rivers Cuomo. You got your leg fixed, but yeah. here's Dave Kroll <laughs> on tour. Real right. time. <laughs> so they rebranded the rest of the tour. Um, it, I guess it was in support of an album in 2015, but they're like, you know what? Let's make a whole bunch of merch, and we're going to call this the Broken Leg Tour. <laughs> so they have, you know, shirts and stuff with the throne on it, and yeah, they totally made a gimmick out of it. Well, I'd love to meet the marketing person who came up with that. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Dave Grohl himself. He's just like, you know what? I'm not going to let this get in my way. I mean, it's a good way to collect cash. Um, and then later, he later had <laughs> led his throne to Axl Rose of Guns N' Roses after Rose suffered a similar injury on April 1st, 2016. <laughs> uh, so the throne lives on. He passed the throne. <laughs> that's great. Yep. Right. So that was when Guns N' Roses was getting back together after 20 years. He, Axl Rose and Slash and Duff finally got back together. It was like the end of the world. I think Duff is the problem. That guy can't stay clean. He just looks, he looks like a walking <laughs> drug. 
Yeah. <laughs> yep. But somehow they pulled it off, and then of course, as soon as they do, Axel Rose goes ahead and and messes up his leg. But thank God there was a big groan to save the day. Yeah, thank God. And did you know, Steve, that Grohl has been a musical guest on Saturday Night Live 13 times since 1992? That is a lot. That's more than anyone else. He's appeared with how many bands? Like, all of them. Nirvana, Foo Fighters, Them Crooked Vultures, Mick Jagger, and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers he's played with. Um, which means he's done his bands multiple times. What a, what a guy. Five different bands, 13 appearances. Uh, he's got a pretty good relationship with Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I remember the one with, 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 uh, with Animal, where he did the drum off. That was pretty cool. It's like very Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, he showed up in a Sesame Street episode, but it was separate from that when he did the drum off with uh, with Animal. Nice. That's definitely worth looking up on, on the YouTubes if you got a few minutes. Yeah, that's sick. So back in 2015, David Letterman, the, the nighttime talk show host, um, had his last show. He was on the air for decades. And his favorite song in life is Everlong by the Foo Fighters. So he's like, all right, this is my last song. Let's send it off with a great musical guest. And, of course, he gave that honor to the Foo Fighters. So the last song on, on Dave, David Letterman's reign of late-night TV was uh, Everlong. Yeah, which so has a good cool. theme. If everything could ever feel is real forever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Good call. And in 2012, Grohl was estimated to be the third wealthiest drummer in the world, which goes to show you guys... There's a guy named Ringo Starr. Yeah, he's he's gonna be on that throne until the day he dies. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you can find a richer drummer than him. Not sure if you know the band he was in, but they kind of have a lot of money coming in. And Phil Collins, um, another another rich drummer. But don't worry, because that means that he only has a net worth of about two hundred sixty million dollars. <laughs> what is that? A quarter billion? Yeah. Oh, he's good. Yeah, no, no problem. problem there. Um, I think he's going to be all right. <laughs> and then here's an interesting rock fact. Dave Grohl doesn't know how to read music. Yeah, I knew that. And I'm kind of happy that that exists because... Because here you are not knowing how to read music, and you can still make a nail. You can I do can't it. make it. But think about <laughs> him. That's pretty nuts that he never bothered to learn how to play music, and he didn't need it to create. When you have an ear for it, and you're just a fun, likable guy... Well, noodling around, you can if you're a good noodler, that's what you need to be is a good noodler. And he mm. sure can noodle. Right at the I didn't know that though. It's pretty sick. Alright, Steve, so this week you picked this song and I'm already regretting ever meeting you. I'm leaving now. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, Jesus Christ. All right, then I'll take this. It was great to have you on the show, but I woke up this morning with, for some terrible reason, I woke up from a nightmare and I was singing the electric slide to myself. Sounds like the plot to a Stephen King novel. <laughs> so I knew that... Boogie, boogie, boogie. Yeah, we had to talk about this because I wanted to bring you down to my misery. <laughs> so... Right, it's officially called The Electric Boogie. It's like an old song from the 70s by Marsha Griffiths and Bunny Whaler. And then in 1976, yeah. this choreographer and Broadway performer made a dance for it called The Electric Slide. This is like the guy who made the anarchist cookbook of songs. Like, no, I take it back. The dude regretted it. The dude hated that song. <laughs> out there. <laughs> I can't believe I put that out there. So... In a weird twist of fate, remember how I said, like, back in the 80s, it was like every bar mitzvah and wedding. Like, you could not escape a family function without doing the electric slide. Then the guy who created it hated it so much that in 2007, he put a bunch of takedown notices all over YouTube to anyone who was posting the dance. <laughs> he took it down. He's like, I don't want anyone using my dance moves. Are you serious? Does he realize, like, uh, you know, it's funny. I wonder if the guy from the Funky Chicken is, like, having any second guesses right now. <laughs> Should I? Yeah. Should I? That <laughs> seems like I draw, I draw the line there. Nobody better take away the Funky Chicken. That's a different story. The crazy thing about this song is while it does suck, we've all danced to it, which is kind of embarrassing to say, but most people have danced to it at some point in their life. And then 
what happens in this song, just to let you know, at parties when you're super drunk and you start dancing to it, halfway through it, you're like, I can't believe I did this, and you walk away. Yeah, you're like, oh, God, this is... <laughs> you're filled with regret. Yes, as soon as you realize what you're doing, like... You're at a party, you're drinking, having a good time, your inhibitions are low, and then you start doing the electric slide because you know it, you know the moves, you've done it your whole life. And then halfway through, yeah, you're like, oh no, I need to get off this dance floor ASAP. Yeah. (laughs) So like, what's interesting about this song is that it sounds like reggae, but it's just trash. Yeah, it's terrible. It has that whole part in the middle, whatever the hell the guy's saying. Um and every time it drives me nuts. I think that's when I stop dancing. Is when I hear the, the first. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go sit right. down now. It's like, it sobers you up a little bit. You're like, hell's happening here. Um, that's a little. It sobers you up a little bit. It's like, you know, it's funny that we we do this song because it's now you know it's a it's a slippery slope from here to the Macarena. But this is like the Macarena of the '80s. <laughs> it's basically what it was. Yeah. I don't know if we'd have the Macarena if it wasn't for the electric slide. Of course not. You're right. I think this set off a chain of those stupid-ass party line dances. And then you wouldn't have the Cupid Shuffle. Like, they all just, like, they're just related, annoying songs. I mean, I get it. There's line dancing. <laughs> yeah, it's what it is. Which is reserved for country music. <laughs> yeah. But it has no place in... In hip-hop and country and rock. <laughs> yeah, let's do it here. <laughs> and I think the electric boogie was the one to break down that wall. Like, oh, you know what? We're going to make any song into a line dance, and you just shouldn't do that. So what we should talk about is how Rick Sibber is actually a hero because he's trying to eliminate this from YouTube. <laughs> I, I really think he just has selfish motivations. I don't want people playing my stuff out there, but you've done us a service. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate all that you do to get rid of your music everywhere. Well, come back and join us next season. Uh, we're going to take a little break. We're going to, you know, play a little Rocket League and, you know, just, just chat and not have all these expectations of things to do. But uh, well, we already got a few good ideas. We've been tossing around some possibilities for next season. I think it's going to be good. Might change up the format a little bit. Yeah, I, th- I hope you guys stick around because I think it's going to be really cool um, music education for us all. And it probably is going to hit a little uh, faster, too, if what we're thinking about ends up happening so that's our show steve and last show of the season um if anything to say anything anything at all yes neil i want to thank you for being a wonderful podcast co-host yeah same to you steve this This season's been fantastic breeze yeah you've made it a lot of fun um and that's my last word i appreciate it man you you as well and uh it's not goodbye forever it's only goodbye for now all right, well, remember to uh, remember to tell you. There will be a season three, even if it takes another five years. <laughs> remember that none of, this is, none of this is chronological, but you can go back and listen to any of these podcasts at any time. They'll be here until we decide to come back. So, Except when we did that, like, um, this week in music history. I mean, that was kind of specific to the week that we recorded. I mean, that's pretty. Well, season two doesn't have that. We're good. Season two. You yeah. can season two. You're welcome to just go up, down, back and forth. It's it's not t- not Our audio quality is better. We're more comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Definitely stick with season two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like I keep thinking of hitting that delete button on season one. Just <laughs> nobody would miss it. Peace.
time and time again.